16. 69. Hut, you know, hut, hut. Hi. <laughs> messing with me. You're going to mess everything up because we're live and have been for several seconds. All right. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we are going to let the legendary creator of Falstaff Books, Mr. John G. Hartness himself, introduce himself. So, John, talk a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm a Leo. I like long walks. Oh, wait. Different different whole, different whole, venue. Uh, you don't like long walks on the beach? That's outside. I don't like long walks anywhere. That's why I'm fat. <laughs> um, I'm John Hartness. I'm the founder and publisher of Falstaff Books. We're an independent press based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. I am an old theater nerd. I've been an actor, director, designer, producer, arts admin, theater director, all that jazz back in a former life. I write multiple series, including the Quincy Harker Demon Hunter books, the Black Knight Chronicles, and the Bubba the Monster Hunter series, which we'll talk about a little later. And, you know, I go to a couple dozen conventions a year and sling paperbacks like I'm uh, like I'm a cheerleader spreading chlamydia. Okay. Do you ever hit anyone in the forehead when you sling them, or do they manage to catch every time? Depends on whether I like them or not. If I don't like them, I throw hardcovers. <laughs> so the uh, next part of the introduction, dear listeners, we say how we first found them. So I found them because Siska said, hey, here be this guy, talk, and here we are. But Seska, what bar did you meet him at? Is it the Liberty Con bar or the Dragon Con one? It would have been Dragon because I, I first saw you at Liberty. Yes. You were walking by. And so whoever was introducing you around introduced you to the person at the booth next to me. And I heard who you are. It's like, okay. And then you were not walked over to be yeah, introduced the, to me. I, I, that, I, that was the year where I was in a state of shock. Oh, yeah. Was, and because it was a. Um, Less than three weeks after I became track director and people were telling me congratulations. And I kept going, how do they know I'm graduating from college again? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and my friends go, it's not that dummy. And I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, for that thing. So now you got to ask him the religion question and I have to decide oh, if he gets to stay. So <laughs> probably not. He probably does because I like him and my we all know my vote counts more. Just ask grandpa. Also, I'm too heavy to move. There's a lot of inertia. <laughs> there is that, I guess. So, Aliens, Interstellar, or Space 1999? I have to go with literally the only one I've seen, which is Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Since we're polytheistic and we cross the spectrum, how about Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, or Blade? Buffy. Buffy, actually more faith because who faith. Oh, um faith is awesome. Yeah. That yeah, the character is awesome too. Freakishly. There we go. Yeah. Yeah, definitely the freakishly hot part. Um and yeah. he reads the articles, he promises. That's why he gets the magazines, just for the articles. <laughs> magazines, bro, internet, come on. <laughs> for real. 
<laughs> How does Larry Flint still make a living in the age of the internet? He doesn't, probably. I don't know. Is he even still alive? Who? Larry Flint? Yeah. I don't know. I know Eric Flint is still alive. Eric Flint is a very, very different individual. Dramatically so. <laughs> I don't know who Larry Flint is. We'll tell you when you're older or when the podcast stops streaming so we don't lose family friendly monetization. We're gonna, I, I'm just gonna make sure that you Google it later and that I'm looking at your face when you do. <laughs> okay, so I'm only allowed to Google this at Dragon Con. Got it. Yep. <clears throat> you're going to have to remind me because I'll forget about it. Uh, otherwise, I will, you know, God, you will remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna try and make sure Eric Flint is around when this happens. Because oh, hilarity will ensue. No, no, no hell, hell, hell. Poor okay, guy, anyway. will fly off. Okay, so now that we have gone through that side <laughs> what and, would you... And this is be one of the times we don't want you to send us mail when you look this up. Like, Seth does right. not want those letters. Oh, I but know. If you want to send them to her, it's Seska at Podcast at gmail.com. Or you can go share them to the Boinking Beasties page on YouTube. I think you might get banned. <laughs> Anyways, back to the show. Uh, so what would you say your first memory of, or actually really what your first love of, of the genre was? Science fiction or fantasy? Or was it horror knowing you? Oh, well, you I didn't, that wasn't an option in the questions you sent me to prep. Um, I know. We like throwing you curveballs. You like it. I do. That way. Honestly, I don't know because it was all around the same time when I started reading all of these things. I was probably nine or ten. The first <laughs> sci-fi book I remember buying was a paperback copy of Have Spacesuit Will Travel that I bought for a quarter at a yard sale. Wow. And I remember buying it because there was this cute animal in a spacesuit on the cover. And <laughs> I had no idea what was up, but it looked neat. But then I also remember reading the Chronicles of Narnia at about the same age. Ah. So, and then it wasn't more than a year or two after that that I started reading Stephen King. Because my brother, who was significantly older. So which one did you fall in love with? All of them. All of them. Absolutely. As soon as I read any of that, I was like, yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Animals in spacesuits, I'm there. <laughs> um, going through closets to get to, I mean, I, I literally almost got a concussion trying to go through the back of my parents' closet to find Narnia. So I can understand that. Yeah. The reason I prep the question the way I do is because I would consider for most most horror when there's like monsters and stuff involved i'd consider that a, a type of urban fantasy with a horror sub element because the creature itself that's the horror element would qualify as fantasy well so urban fantasy is a genre grew out of three different three different roots there's the it all roots in fantasy but there's like a there's like a tree that is fantasy married with horror. And then there's another tree that's fantasy married with romance. And they all kind of meet in the middle to make urban fantasy. But remember, I'm an old fart. So urban fantasy didn't exist when I was a kid. 
Oh yeah. I mean, there there wasn't a YA shelf in the library. So even though Have Spacesuit Will Travel was one of Heinlein's juveniles, in my little hick town, they didn't have that in the children's section. So I didn't, didn't have it in the children's section in Atlanta either, just to let you know. Well, just so you don't feel like you were quite in the boonies. But I mean, I am still in the South. <laughs> and I was totally in the boonies. Oh, yeah, I know where you were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they still pump in sunshine. So horror, well, horror was much bigger then, too, because I was born in 73. So when I started reading genre fiction, it was probably 82, 83. And Stephen King was colossal. And I was definitely reading horror by then because I remember waiting for the school bus on a foggy morning, sitting down at the end of my driveway, reading Salem's Lot. I was and 39 years ago. Just to make you feel you better. for that. I'll get you back for that next time. <laughs> <I see you. laughs> You're uh, going to make me watch look at Larry. No, I'm just going to tell Eric Flint. Flint. You call, There's a you, fair just going to tell Eric you thought he was Larry Flint. I did not. I know. But he doesn't know that unless he <laughs> yeah. watches this podcast. Right. So, so would Damn you it. consider horror then part of the speculative fiction umbrella? Absolutely. So certainly part of the, certainly if you want to go broad into speculative fiction, horror fits under that. So what is it about speculative fiction and all of the umbrella subsidiaries that you love as a genre? More stuff blows up. Um, the pacing you're on the FBI watch list. <laughs> no actually my theater work is why I'm on the FBI watch list and those are stories I'll only tell in person um, <laughs> but no. yeah there was a white van parked around the corner from my house for about two weeks in the early 2000s um, <laughs> but honestly the pacing really appeals to me because while I love thrillers and mysteries and all that they they kind of meander a little more and i have i have adhd and it's and it's a real thing so tighter quicker pacing is very much appeals to me and a lot of urban fantasy in particular is very quick and that's why i prefer space opera or mill sci-fi to things like dune or hard sci-fi i don't want to have to look anything up if I think I'm going to have to, if I think I'm going to have to go back to grad school, <laughs> I'm not interested. I love the fact that it's written. I love the fact that there are people who dig it. I'm just none of those people. I want pew, pew, zoom, zoom. I can understand that. So, so yeah. I read, getting my science degrees, I read a lot of fantasy because I needed you know, a break. You say science degrees. Yeah. yeah, the way I say science classes, like two. And I barely passed the second one. I do have two science degrees, actually. There we go. Yeah. And I did take two science classes. <laughs> I made the mistake of thinking that because I worked in a planetarium, the astronomy class would be really easy. I can Not, see that being a logical mistake. 
Yeah, it wasn't so much standing talking about stars so and stuff because it was math. Yeah. Like I said, My, the whole point of me taking calculus in high school was to never set foot in a math class again. And then I take astronomy and I'm like, wait a minute. This is false advertising. This is math. I should be, I don't know, blowing something up or cooking meth or learning something sciencey. <laughs> I don't think we cooked meth in 1993, but I never cooked meth. Just, <laughs> just need to. Guy, man, if you're still watching him, he has right. never cooked meth. Right, dear. That's fine. Dear. I did not do at-home chemistry like they do on Breaking Bad. There so we how go. Does your love of the genre of speculative fiction writ large transition into you writing stories in that field. Oh, I was reading a lot of it and I thought I could do this. I mean, I'm moderately literate. This stuff's not really complicated. I can write somebody's paying these people for this. I could get paid to do this, and my day job kind of sucks. So it's not that I thought, oh, I can do this better. I thought I can do this as well as these guys are doing it. Spoiler. I, I sometimes can, but not always. <laughs> Some of the people I was reading were really good. Some of them suck and I'm better than them. Yeah, but sometimes that's just nice guilty pleasure. Yep. So I go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say I have no guilty pleasures. If I like it, it's awesome. I mean I'm <laughs> I've got tickets. I got tickets to go to to a pro wrestling show tomorrow night, y'all. There is no shame in any of my pleasures. This is not wrestling. It's wrestling. It's totally different, guys, just so you well, know. Well, yeah, it's in Charlotte. It's going to be wrestling. <laughs> so many authors let their own real-life experiences influence the stories they tell. So were there any specific formidable moments that shaped you as a storyteller? Um, I work a lot of things into my stories, but I don't have any one moment. Like Stephen King in On Writing tells a story about him seeing a friend of his die as a child and that it, ba it basically stunned him into silence and he blocked it from his memory for years. I didn't have anything like that. I didn't have some great stand by me moment. I didn't have, you know, leeches on my wiener or anything that would make, turn me into a horror writer. <laughs> that would though, that would do it. Um, I had a pretty basic, I had a, happy childhood i just was always a big nerd and loved reading so when i ran out of things i wanted to read i figured well i guess i'll write something that's fair you had my all you well you do have some of my pesky friends i never run out of things to read if i think <laughs> i might they put things in my email box yeah we do <laughs> yeah. so says one of the people who's guilty is charged yep so, but going to things from a fan angle, let's talk about, have you had any really cool fan art or somebody cosplay any of your characters yet? Doesn't have to be from the universe we're talking about tonight. Um, a few years ago, I wanted to repackage the Bubba the Monster Hunter series, mm -hmm. and I wanted to create a logo for the shadowy secret government agency that is featured in the in the books but i don't have any graphic design skills so i opened it up to my fans and said hey if you're interested 
Um, I will give you copies of the book and a t-shirt and, but so I would like for someone to design a logo for me. And one of my fans came up with a really great logo for the Bubba series and gave me the rights to use it in on my books and on t-shirts. That's awesome. So, yeah, it was fantastic. So. Nobody's cosplay. I can't tell if anyone cosplays my characters. That's the trouble with urban fantasy. Yeah. Because how do you, I write about a giant ponytailed nerd with a beard and a lot of tattoos. Is somebody, is somebody I, cosplaying a character or is it just me? Yeah. That is a very fair question. Yeah. <laughs> Um, has anybody asked for your autograph out in public away from a convention or a book signing? Kinda. It's actually even cooler than that. Okay. The first time I ever met Kevin Hearn, he was doing a signing in Charlotte. The third or fourth, I think it was the fourth Iron Druid book had just come out. And I really enjoy that series. And I wanted to go and meet him and get a book signed and thank him for all of the money I made being one of his Amazon also bots. Because at the time there were only three guys writing male protagonist, smart ass urban fantasy. And it was Jim butcher who hadn't put out a new book in two years, Kevin Hearn who released three books in three months and then didn't have a book for a year. And then there was me <laughs> sitting along in number three, happy to be there <laughs> And I was the next thing on the also bots after you ran out of Kevin Hearn and Jim Butcher books. And I reaped in the rewards. Nice. So I went to his book signing and I had posted on Facebook that I was going and that I was excited to go. And as I'm standing in line with a copy of Kevin's book to get signed, some guy walks up with one of my books that he had bought in the store and had me sign my book while standing in line to get my book signed. That's awesome. It really was. I felt like a rock star and everyone around me looked very confused. <laughs> that is awesome. Normally we ask, have you ever spotted your book out in the wild? But I think that counts, right? Yeah. I, I, I had, I ran into somebody at Dragon Con actually reading one of my books at the, lobby bar of the Weston. And oh, I was wow. like, I was like, Hey, did I sell that to you? And they're like, yeah, a couple of years ago. I was like, Oh, you're just starting it now. What the hell? I've written like five books since then. Oh, really? Well, I'll go online and buy those now. I said, all right, good. I'll buy you a beer. <laughs> so what is your funniest or weirdest fan interaction? Random question. Does that make the beer tax deductible? Asking for a friend. Uh, I own a publishing company. All beer is tax deductible. I need to remember to go drink with you this year. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to need it. It's marketing. It's a marketing expense. <laughs> I don't know that I've had any real weird or funny fan interactions. I've had, you know, it's just kind of awesome. Oh, one weird one. The Whoopi Goldberg thing was pretty weird. Yeah, share the Whoopi Goldberg thing. I think I remember that one. 
I was sitting at home writing one day and this email, the email notification, you know, in the top corner of your screen comes up and it says from Whoopi Goldberg. And I was like, yeah, whatever. And I click on it and it says, I'm a fan of your Quincy Harker books and all of this and talking about other stuff. And I reply, assuming that it's one of my Magic the Gathering friends pranking me because some of those guys are computer nerds and spoofing an email <laughs> account would be nothing to them. But there was about that half percent chance that it really was Whoopi Goldberg emailing me out of the blue. So... I was like, all right, well, I will behave as though this is real, even though I have no expectation for this to be real. And we exchange a few emails back and forth over the course of the day. Ask, she was asking about the books and things. And after about the third one, I said, look, hey, I hate to be like this, but can you send me a picture or something to show that you're really you? Because, you know, pranks and it's a thing. So she shot a video standing backstage at The View and said, hey, John. This is whoop. I just wanted to let you know it's really me. And then I peed a little. Um, <laughs> so yeah, Whoopi Goldberg just randomly hit me up and said, Hey, I like your books. So do you send her signed copies now? Just cause I sent her the omnibus, the limited edition omnibus when it came out. Um, but she consumes most of her books via audiobook. So she gets them that way. Um, but I did send her the signed thousand page omnibus edition when that when that dropped because it it's a pretty nice volume. So I've listened. You have a good narrator for these books. He's fantastic, and he found me. The I I wasn't doing audio for the Quincy Harker books because audio books are ridiculously expensive to produce. And James reached out to me and said, hey, I'd like to narrate this first Quincy Harker book. And I said, okay, what do I have to do? He said, you have to sign these papers and upload it to Audible. I said, okay. So I did. And Audible through ACX has a, you can either pay someone up front or you can do a royalty split. The royalty split has been pretty good for both of us over the course of the years. Nice. And then after season three, I sold the audio rights to the series to Tantor and put it in the contract that they have to hire James to do all the books. And he was already working for Tantor, so there was no argument there. So, yeah. Nice. It throws me off when uh, you have a new narrator. I will admit that. Yeah. There's wow. been, so far, there's only been one short story that was narrated by anybody else. And that was because a friend of mine who does uh, an audio, an audio book podcast wanted to read one of the shorts as part of his podcast. And I said, sure, go for it. Aww, that's sweet. Yeah. So, but with the Bubba series, we switched narrators after season one and that was a little jarring for some people, but the narrator I have is fantastic. So. So this is the part where you get to tell us about everything you've ever written. So could you give us the, the reader's <laughs> of your body of work? Everything we I've ever we're gonna we're gonna not go into everything I've written because there's close to 30 books at this point. Um in my main series, The Black Knight Chronicles, which is light urban fantasy, similar to oh, I don't know. Yeah, I rip off Jim Butcher, it's total Dresden Files knockoff. Um <laughs> 
I've told him he doesn't mind. I, I think people were just looking at him going, Does it did it work? Is it good? Okay. Yeah. Um I haven't hurt his sales any. <laughs> I'm not sure much will. I think he's gonna be just fine. So the Black Knight Chronicles is in its eighth of nine books. The eighth book, Lady in Black, just released back in June of this year. And there will be there will be one more, and then I'm putting that series to bed. By the time it releases, I'll have been writing those characters for 12 years. Wow. So, yeah, it's it's time. They've changed enough. I've changed enough as a writer. It's time to do something different. Then the Bubba the Monster Hunter series, it's kind of confusing to keep track of. Technically, what I just released a couple of weeks ago is season five. But season one is 10 short stories and a novella. Season two is 10 short stories and a novella. Seasons three, four, and five are four novellas each. <laughs> All of these things are also available for sale individually as ebooks. So there's something like. You should talk to your publisher about giving you that kind of a headache. You know. I would, but since he's the schmuck who has to do the layout. <laughs> um, and then the Quincy Harker Demon Hunter series is now, I'm currently working on book eight in that. And that one also confusing because the first four are four novellas. So that's actually the first 16. And then I switched to novels. So five, six, seven, and eight, and moving forward, they're all novels. I'm really lucky that my fans have stuck with me and have been able to follow things. And the pinned post in my Facebook group is reading order. How to buy all of this crap so you know what's going on. That's fair. That's fair. So and I've done a few standalones. So those all sound fascinating, but today we're going to talk about Scattered, Smothered, and Chunked, the first book of the Bobberverse. The best so way to have hash browns? Sure. I've uh, heard that. I, I don't actually eat my hash browns that way, but it was the, mo it was the most rhythmic. I just like carbs. Fair enough. Don't we all? They just don't like me. So where did you get the premise for the universe? They like me. They come, they stay, they hang out, they don't leave. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, look, my cat. So what <sighs> the premise for the story? Was it psychedelic? Hold on. Hold on. <laughs> if I don't pick the cat up, he's going to cry through the rest of this podcast. Aww. If I do pick him up, he will run away in a minute in a couple of minutes. So you guys might have heard that there's a Another relatively popular urban fantasy series with the words Monster Hunter in the series title. Yes. You may have heard of this. Yes. There have been times when people have asked me if Larry Correa's Monster Hunter International series was the inspiration for Bubba. No, I think it predates MIA. It, it doesn't, but it's very close. Um, so I have to tell people that know the series didn't. Larry, however, kind of did. <laughs> so 
at Dragon Con in, I think, 2011, <laughs> I'm wandering through the vendor hall and I'm meeting some friends of mine who are, um, who have a booth and there's this giant bald man standing there. And I was like, wow, it ain't often that I feel small. That's a big SOB. <laughs> and that was Larry Korea. And he, he turned around and he handed me what might be the ugliest baseball cap I've ever seen. It was this lime green atrocity with the MHI logo right smack in the middle. And he said, hey, we're doing a flash mob and we're trying to get the Guinness World Record for the biggest flash mob. So wear this hat and come here tomorrow. And I was like, okay, what are who, who are you and what is this? And he said, this is my series, Monster Hunter International. I'm Larry Korea. Good to meet you. And I was like, hey, good to meet you. So then he kind of, then he's just gone. I'm like, okay, that's a thing that happened. And I look and I'm like, Monster Hunter International. That's kind of cool. And kicking around in the back of my head, I was looking for something to write because Bellbridge Books, who's my publisher with the Black Knight Chronicles, only wanted to release one book a year. And they had write a first refusal on everything in the Black Knight Chronicles universe. Well, I can't make a living off one book a year because I ain't Jeffrey Deaver. Um, no, you have to hush. No. Oh, jump over there. Jeez. Um, so I was looking for a property that I could create that didn't touch the Black Knight Chronicles universe. So I decided that, you know, if, if there really were people hunting monsters, I would want that big, that big goofball that I met at Dragon Con to be hunting monsters. So Larry is a big chunk of the physical model for the character. It's patterned after a blend of Larry Correa and an old friend of mine from when I worked concerts named Dr. Nick. So slap a big beard and long ponytail and full sleeves of tattoos on Larry. And that's where the inspiration for the character of Bubba physically came from. <laughs> I think, I think season two was out. So I'd been writing the series for about two years, three years before I ever read any of the MHI books. And I was really glad to see that they're very, very different at their core. They are. Because, I mean, the MHI books are pretty straight urban fantasy and Bubba's pretty darn horror comedy. Yes, having read them both. And and his books, don't take this the wrong way, they are safe for teenagers. And Bubba and is children. not. Nothing I write. Uh, let me think. Hang on. Uh, Fireheart. I have written a YA novel. Uh, still not safe for particularly sheltered teenagers. I well, swear. I, if you are a parent listening, uh, and I do, I do this myself. Read everything your child. Uh, read or evaluate, or at least check out everything your child reads. Absolutely, you certainly should. My parents didn't, and look how I turned out. <laughs> My mom did, and look how I turned out. 
Okay, so it's uh, this isn't foolproof, y'all. Your kids still <laughs> might. Your kids, kids still might grow up going to conventions and being on nerd podcasts. But you know what, though, the key here, though, is if you you guide that child into reading books that you want to you read and that you like, and then if nothing else, no matter how pissed off I was with my parents, at least I had something to talk to them about, and that was a book. Yeah, my parents were not big readers, so... Oh, uh, my mom can read a David Weber in a day. God, I can't even have a conversation with David in a day. Just listen so, to him try and order pizza. <laughs> so before we dig in, can we just take a moment to look at your, your cover? So you yeah. made the, the bold decision to go with an all-white background. So what made you take such a minimalist approach? Well, there was an original cover before this. This is the revamped cover. And when I did the original cover, it admittedly looks like a third graders uh, Photoshop project because that's about the level of Photoshop ability I had in 2009. But what I noticed over the several years of selling the books at conventions was that everything in science fiction and fantasy is dark colored covers. So it didn't look, it stood out. It stands out on the table and nothing looks like that. And then when you put a Waffle House order on the cover in big letters, that also pops a little. But it was because it was so different and so stark. I've always very much liked a kind of a kind of clean, uncluttered cover design. And I'm not very big on representational covers of characters because I feel like if you can't afford to hire Chris McGrath, Michael Whalen, or some of the fantastic cover artists that are out there, don't just do some random 3D, 3D modeled mediocrity. If you can't do it really well, don't do people. So I don't do people because I can't afford to pay those kind of rates. That's okay. fair. Fair enough. So let's move on to the book itself. What would your 30-second elevator pitch be? Depends on where I am. Um, because I have to I have to tailor my audience geographically. But if I'm in the South, which I usually am, it's Larry the Cable Guy and Buffy the Vampire Slayer have a love child. And he yes. shoots a lot of crap. Yes. I also usually don't say crap. I did not know that when we picked the religion questions, just so you know. <laughs> right. No, he did not. You did not. You couldn't have. Um, and then for a while, it was Buffy bangs the guy from Duck Dynasty, but then they kind of went away. So now we're back to Larry the Cable Guy. I also sometimes will say it's Ash versus the Evil Dead. I can um, see that. So anything that will put people in the frame of mind for comedic horror. Fair enough. Okay. Next question is you, Doc. Next put the question knitting is down. What? Put the knitting down. This is a knit free. I'm not podcast. doing knitting. Sometimes she's knitting when she should be talking. All right. Cool. There's not often people can complain about my not talking. <laughs> Valid. So, what is it that makes your 
series special in the crowded field of science fiction. Or, sorry, not science fiction, urban fantasy. I was paying attention. I've read this book. <laughs> I liked it. It's not urban fantasy. It's comedy. A okay. lot of people can write urban fantasy with some snark or with a little bit of comedy in it. This is comedy with a horror setting. It okay. starts the day shooting for comedy. And that's one of the things that separates me, Jeff Strand, Rick Gualtieri from the majority of urban fantasy. There are folks who are doing great work. Orlando Sanchez's Montague and Strong series is great urban fantasy with a lot of snark to it, but it's not comedy. It's urban fantasy with humor. The early Dresden stuff is urban fantasy with some humor. It's not comedy. So okay. that is one of the things that separates this from, from the herd a little bit. Also, the fact that I have an unapologetically hillbilly protagonist. My <laughs> main character was, he, he was a defensive lineman for the University of Georgia Bulldogs till he blew out his knee and now he hunts monsters. I mean... Well, you it don't get not, much more hick than that. You really don't. No, I mean, you don't. He lives in Dalton, Georgia, for God's sake. I've been to Dalton. I'm sorry. There's not a lot there. No, but there's some hills. So I stuck a fake cabin on one of those hills and put, put a bubba in it. Very believable bubba. Uh, you know, they say, write what you know. So, beer drinking strip clubs and rednecks. How do you so, feel what about tropes do you think? IPAs? I'm sorry? How do you feel about IPAs? I'm just curious because you're a beer drinker. Oh, I'm actually not much of a beer drinker. Um, especially since I'm old and fat. I got the gout, so I can't drink beer no more. So, I drink cider. Good God, awesome. <laughs> All right, Cat. back to delicious questions from Doc. Um, oh, and I hate IPAs. Even when I'm drinking beer, I hate IPAs. That is I the right answer. I'm convinced it was invented by hipsters so they could feel cool. Bold okay. Rock makes a really amazing cider IPA. It's super dry. It's really nice. I like it. Hmm. Um, maybe if you're nice, I'll, I'll bring one to you so you can try it. So there's pretty much no chance I'm ever going to try it because I have to be nice to get one. Okay. No, no. All you, have to do, all you have to do is give me a book. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the last time we did the Fantasy Gather, I shipped like 200 books to your house. You you did. You did ship 200 <laughs> books to my house, and um, which was really funny to watch. I, my mom comes in, she looks at me, and she goes, what did you do? How much money did you spend? No, I didn't Nothing. Do it. And, and ever since, I now get grief from everybody in my family for, you don't even go to a con this year and you still get books sent to you the house. What happened? <laughs> they should see my poor UPS guy. Oh, I'm sure he's very fit. <laughs> he hates me so much. Oh, my UPS guy hates me. <laughs> okay, so... We're going to ask tropaliciousness. Which tropes do you, does do you think scattered, smothered, and chunks hits the best or the just the most offbeat? 
Hmm. Well, definitely the guy in the chair. Okay. Uh, Bubba is the big dumb redneck who shoots things. But for that to be successful, you got to have the guy in the chair. The guy that's talking to you on headset saying, hey, 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 don't go through that door. Something's going to, oh man, I told you. You got to have the guy in the chair. So Skeeter is Bubba's guy in the chair. And Skeeter's his best friend. And also in comedy, you play on the opposites a lot. Well, Bubba's six and a half feet tall, 350 pounds worth of white redneck. And Skeeter's about 170 pounds worth of black gay tech nerd redneck. So those were the cutest. Yeah. So you put those together and you have inherent comedic tropes. And then there's the standard, there's the standard US comedy trope of fat guy with a woman that's way out of his league. I do that. Um, also kind of dumb male protagonist, really smart female bailing him out of trouble. I do that because I've been married a long time and I am a fat guy with a wife that's way out of my league and I am kind of dumb and she bails me out of a lot of stuff. So again, I write what I know. <laughs> I, I was going to say, cause you have a handling team of two women who are amazing. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And they tag off, um, in the middle of convention days, sometimes one will take the morning shift of getting me to panels and making sure I have a meal. And then midway through they tag off and the other one handles getting me to panels for the afternoon and evening. And the and funny one sure is if you randomly say their name, you will watch John freeze and look for them and go, I didn't do it. Uh-huh. True story. It's quite and funny. when we did, when we made the Falstaff books backpacks, I got theirs embroidered, and one says good twin, and one says evil twin. Nice. So who got which one? Uh, you'll have to find us at a con to find out. Mine so says I, I have one of those backpacks. I like it. It's a good backpack. Mine says HMFIC. <laughs> so you've, we've kind of talked already, actually, about what subgenres you think this fits best into, mm -hmm. but do you want to add any other ones or should we talk about the story now? Well, it hits, it hits on a lot because they're, because each season is a collection of short works. And I describe mm -hmm. them as seasons because they're built like a, I know easy for me to say. <laughs> we broke them. <sighs> They're built like the seasons of a TV series. Mm -hmm. You've got an overarching story that continues to be moved forward, but then each episode may not touch on the long arc for more than a scene or two. So what made you decide to do that method of storytelling with this? Because that's unusual um, for books. I could release them more quickly. Okay. I could write a 10,000 word short in a week, polish it up and when i when i started out i could release one a month and at the time that was a pretty solid way to make a living income then things in the marketplace changed and i changed with it and started doing novellas and i would do three or four novellas every year and then i added on the quincy harker series and i was doing six or eight novellas in a year so JR is obsessed with Bella, and are you going to do it? Uh, ask me again in six months. Okay. I, 
because right now I'm not interested in being an early adopter for Amazon's market research. I want to talk to some people six months in and see if there's, see if they're making any money, see what's making money and see what the time commitment feels like. Writing a serialized story is something I can totally do. I just want to see what the mechanics of getting paid are before I dedicate any of my writing time to it. That's fair. So maybe because, we should do that in six months, JR. We'll sure. do a Vela 101 on Vela. Yeah, because I mean, I don't have the luxury of experimenting on something in a lot of time because this is how I make my living. Yeah. If I still had a day job, I could play and my income wasn't dependent on my writing, but it currently is. So I have to make sure that I'm going to be able to get paid. That is a very valid point. It's not so much that I'm a, a super uber fan of Vela itself, but I enjoyed short content. And so I like to see anything that makes that fiscally viable for authors. So there's more of it out there for us to enjoy. I think it's really cool. I have the web novel app and I think it's fun. I love short content. I love serialized storytelling. Um, I, I don't like the initial payment structure for Vela. So I'm waiting to see if they change it or if I'm wrong um, or if I'm right and it sucks and I don't want to do it. But... <laughs> You know, looking at the looking at the money right now, I'm not nuts about how it looks like their people get paid. Okay. So I'm waiting to I'm waiting to see that shake out. So back to our wonderful topic of the night. Um, so. Can you tell us, well, you've actually told us a lot about the main character. So why don't we talk about this, any secondary characters that were particularly standout-ish to you? And you sure. I mean, we've talked so, a little I mean, bit. We of, talked about his side, main, main sidekick. But... It's basically a team of four. There's Bubba and okay. Skeeter. And then there's Agent Amy. She starts off the series as a federal agent. She's an agent of Demon, which is the secret agency tasked with dealing with cryptids and y'all I made it up and I can't even ever remember what it sound what it stands for but it's basically the same joke as Samuel L. Jackson told in the first Avengers movie About which is shield. somebody was working really hard to make it fit the word demon so there's agent Amy and she and Bubba start off kind of flirty and then very quickly move into a romantic relationship. Were trailer um, parks involved? Hmm? What? Were trailer parks involved? Uh, no, Bubba inherited his great-grandpappy Beauregard's cabin up on the hill. Yeah, but you got to add a trailer park if it's going to be truly authentically redneck. Hey, nah. hey, no, you don't. There's all kinds of rednecks in the South. Be nice. Also, trailer parks are kind of done. There's two or three people riding trailer park urban fantasy, so I wanted that. <laughs> I, I actively wanted to stay away from that. Um, and then there's Uncle Father Joe. And yes, that is a absolute redneck incest joke, except he is Skeeter's adopted uncle and he's a Catholic priest. So he really is Uncle Father Joe and not in a creepy way. 
No, I do actually understand that. I can see that totally being that way in the South. Yeah. So Bubba being a great big old redneck on the top of a hill in Dalton, Georgia, I decided that it would be funny if Bubba was the Southeastern regional monster hunter for the Holy Roman Catholic church, because, you know, I grew up in the sticks of South Carolina and the one Catholic family I went to school with had to drive half an hour to go to mass. So I'm going to guess that there may, if there's a, if there's a Catholic church in Dalton, Georgia, there's probably only one. Wow. So have having him work for the Catholic church has inherent humor value to it. Okay. So those four make up the main, the main team. And then some people will come in and make appearances. Some people will make recurring appearances. Um, there's Barry, the Sasquatch. He's shown up a couple of times. Um, that was the infamous Squatch Dong fight where Bubba had to engage in hand to hand combat with a Sasquatch for supremacy of the uh, tribe of Sasquatches. And uh, I don't know if y'all knew this, but Bigfoot don't wear no pants and everything's proportional. <laughs> So you got a six and a half foot tall redneck and an eight foot tall Sasquatch and his feet ain't the only thing that's big. So when in doubt, cheat. <laughs> I do that one at readings when I feel like the audience just needs to be broken. That is, you mean, are, wait a minute. Have we just uncovered the secret identity of Dr. Chuck Tingle? Oh God, I wish. I wish I had that kind of money. <laughs> man but even i don't have that level of dedication to one joke yeah i actually wonder if that's like a bot writing that because they don't hardly sell any so it's almost like the title is the joke not the book itself yeah um so i've bought a couple because i was like this can't be a real thing oh my god that's a real thing they're educational. Who came on our podcast who said he used to read it. They used to read it out loud in his unit in the Canadian Army. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I'm not sure we'd admit to that. I'm pretty sure the Definitely moose was scared. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know. It's like we're men, we're men, we're men, and the sheep were afraid. Yeah. Men were men, and the moose were nervous. <laughs> All right, Doc, save us from ourselves and ask him about the bad guys. But it's so much fun. Oh, I get to ask him about the bad boys? Is that what you said? So <laughs> <laughs> Bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? <laughs> I won't sing anymore because of ASCAP. So um, can you tell us a bit about the bad guys in your series or without giving away too many spoilers? Um, Bubba has some family issues. That's what? really all I... In That's really South, all I can give you. Did he? Did they burn down his front porch so he couldn't put the grazie out there? No, no. Um, <laughs> monster hunting's the family business, but sometimes they hunt back. Mm. So, as we go through season one, Bubba, it's mostly monster of the week stuff, and then we get to the end of the season, and there's a big reveal, and it's like. 
Oh, well, I guess I got to go kill my daddy. Oh. And things escalate quickly. And then in season four, he has to go to Fairyland to save his half-sister that he didn't know existed. Hey, at least it wasn't mommy. Well, she shows up at the end of season three and makes things go all sideways. I don't, don't tell me that. I want my son to love me forever. Boys should be nice to their mamas. We squeeze them out. Fair enough. And I'm going to guess the bubble was probably a difficult delivery. You think? Well, speaking of characters, if you ever met yours in a dark alley and they knew who you were as the creator of the hell. I'm so them. screwed. <laughs> So, so you couldn't wrestle him. I'm a lover, not a fighter, baby. I'm built. I am built for comfort, not for speed. No. <laughs> also, Bubba carries a desert eagle because when you're six and a half feet tall and weigh 350 pounds, you can use a, effectively use a 50 caliber hand cannon. There's plenty of videos on the internet showing that if you're much smaller than that, you can't. Indeed, there are. So, um, but they're fun to watch. Oh, they're hilarious. So I'm not a gun guy. I I own one firearm, but every once in a while, people will come up and say, hey, I really, really like the uh, all your gun stuff. I was like, thank you. Wikipedia is awesome. They're like, where did you serve? I was like, Denny's? <laughs> <laughs> like, you were never in the military? I'm like, uh, ever since I've been alive, they require haircuts. <laughs> it's been an all volunteer army and they require haircuts. Those two things combine. May it always stay an all volunteer army. Absolutely. I care less now that I'm too old to get drafted, but since we talked about the characters, do you have a favorite character archetype to, to put in your novels? No, nah, I like pretty much every book I work on there's something that i want to play with character wise there's something that i haven't done so i and it always it always changes so i just throw it in there work on it for a few months and then send it to send it to my editors and they work on it for a little while and then i do as i'm told and work on it some more and <laughs> but no i don't i don't know that i i mean smart alecky protagonist sure but that's all really i never would have got the smart ass vibe from you can't imagine i mean i'm a sincere mf -er. that's right so uh speaking of sincerity uh in many series the worlds where the stories take place are as much a character as the protagonist and the antagonist so other than rednecks and cabins in the woods what can we expect from this universe you've created no nah, that's about it bro <laughs> uh, <laughs> um it it's our world just a little bit off axis so there are monsters and i can make stuff up but I do work pretty hard at getting most of the geography right. And an alarming number of the places where things happen are places where I've been, including the strip club made from a double wide trailer, which was in a different short story for a different series, but that's a real thing. And as terrifying as it sounds. Okay. Yeah, I that sounds pretty terrifying. <laughs> 
I should have known better when the paved road ran out and it turned to gravel and my GPS said, you have arrived and there's nothing but corn on either side of the road. I should have just turned around then. Did they have their teeth? I got. I didn't. Somebody. I did not get close enough to check. <laughs> <laughs> so scattered, smothered, and chunked is clearly part of the series. I know because it says so on Amazon, and you told us earlier. Yep. There are currently five books out in this uh, series, seasons one through five. So, is their story done? Will there be more? What's coming next? There will absolutely be more. Um, at the end of season five, I did brutal, ugly, nasty things to Bubba and his people. The last most of season five was a crossover between Bubba and the Quincy Harker Demon Hunter series because fans have been saying, who would win in a fight? We want to see these crossover. And I keep thinking, y'all, that's complicated. But they, <laughs> they asked long enough and I finally sucked it up and wrote it. So in Harker, Harker seven and eight crossover with Bubba season five, episodes two, three, and four. And at the end of season five, um, I leave Bubba at a place where he basically needs to reinvent himself. So there will be more. It's probably going to be middle of 2022 20, before any new Bubba comes out because I want to take some time when I finish this Harker book to work on some unrelated projects that I've got half finished. And I want to give all of this time to settle and figure out where we're going with Bubba because it is going to be a new, a new direction. So, question. Are they in the same universe at least? Yes. Okay. Yeah. The Bubba and so you Harker. Know, like a Mercedes lackey where the bards, her bards and, and her, uh, Diana series are all in the same universe. Yes. Um, and that also means that all of the spinoff series, Eric Asher's Mason Dixon books, uh, JD Black Rose's Jess Friedman books, Teresa Glover's Caitlin Kelly books, um, L.R. Gould's Peterson Apostles books, Judy Black's uh, Finnegan Family books, all of those are also in the same universe. So you might, Bubba has made an appearance in one of Eric Asher's Mason Dixon novellas. And I sent Harker to visit and Harker has dealt with some of the people in some of Gail Martin's novellas that she does for us. So, and because I own the publishing company, I can, it's easier for me to split the royalties on all that. Because I'm already writing confusing? checks to these people. Because <laughs> does that get confusing? No. Um, because since I own the base Bubba IP and I own the publishing company, the deal I cut was I just take the publisher cut and I don't take an IP owner cut on top of it because that would make the math hard. So it's just like if there's stuff... It's the same royalty split as if their stuff was not related to any of my work. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it it works out well for, for the authors, and it makes my life easier when it's time to do royalties every quarter. So I'm all for it. <laughs> so we know that every literary universe has its own consistent rules of science. Well, you've said this in Modernia, so that's a given. Um, but what about magic? Was there sort of um, magical stuff in this book or just the Oh, yeah. 
Well, there's less in Bubba than there is in Harker. Bubba is mostly cryptids and critters, and Harker is demons and magic. But every once in a while, they do cross over. So Bubba doesn't have any magic that I've told anyone about um, and doesn't have any magical items that I've told anyone about. But he did go to Fairyland. So there, you know, his regular pistol rounds aren't very useful against fairies getting shot with a 50 caliber pistol still hurts even if you have to be even if only cold iron can kill you because it's still a big bullet going real fast so even if it doesn't kill you it still hurts um but you know he carries he carries three different kinds of magazines. He carries regular ammunition. Then he carries mag magazines with cold iron rounds. And then he carries some that alternate between silver tipped and phosphorus tipped because a lot of things don't like silver and kind of nothing likes being set on fire. Well, to quote Major Payne, he might not be dead, but he sure ain't happy when you shoot him. So I, you know, I think it still gets the point across. Yeah, I kind of, I kind of took some of the philosophy from the first Anita Blake book, where she was talk, she was talking about somebody was talking to her about shooting a vampire in the chest, and they said, "Well, I thought you had to stake him through the heart." And she said, "You know, if I just blow the entire heart out the back of his rib cage, it's the same thing." Pretty effective. So, you know, if you shoot somebody enough times that their head falls off, same thing as cutting it off with a sword. Fair enough. So, is there any tech or magic from this world that you would abuse? I mean, if I had any magic, I would abuse the crap out of it regardless. Do what? Uh, anything. Anything I could. I mean, make me telekinetic and I am never going to the fridge again. <laughs> you know, that let was... me turn let me turn invisible i'll never wear pants again <laughs> no pants are a thing you must wear them i'm wearing pants i mean they're sweats but i don't i don't, I don't care <laughs> they yeah. are pants yeah the i mean camera is on the bottom should be on i agree because you never know when you're gonna have to stand up in a hurry and you don't want to display your shortcomings to the world. So you have fantastic creatures in your universe, but did mm -hmm. you go about, do you have aliens though? Um, kinda. Gail Martin in her Mark Wojcik books has introduced the concept of there being aliens in the universe. I haven't written them. There almost certainly are just because if there's infinite planets out there, doesn't make any sense that ours is the only one with anything on it. And if we managed to evolve into semi-intelligence, somebody else probably did too. Fair enough. You know, the, there's there's just math involved. You get to big enough numbers, and you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna repeat. So, how do you go about creating your magical creatures when you write them? Are they inspired by nightmares, too much time at Waffle House, too many late nights at a convention? 
Usually I go to a website on I go to a website that's like that's encyclopedia of monsters and I look up I look up one that I haven't used before and if it seems interesting I'll use it. So they're all from folklore really. And I decide I decide what I decide what pieces I like and what pieces I don't like. So I glom on things from multiple sources. So I liked that fairies are vulnerable to cold iron and not much else. I didn't I don't really like the bit about fairies not being able to lie because then they have to get in this convoluted truth telling and that takes more dialogue and you know it's too big a pause between me blowing something up. So I don't I didn't use that bit. The whole bit about you can't eat anything in fay in fairy or you're trapped there. I didn't like that, so I didn't use it. I like that dragons are shapeshifters, so I used that. You know, take bits and pieces from here and there and throw them in a blender and pour some tequila and triple sec over. Oh, wait, nope, different recipe. Never mind. <laughs> so we're winding down now, but is there anything we haven't asked you about the Bubra? universe that you might want to tell us um this is season five um blood sweat and tears that has just released is an experiment of sorts for me because it's the first time we've done bubba audio books that are not audible exclusive okay. we paid for the production up front and they're going to be available on all audiobook formats so you can also go to a website called authors direct and buy them directly from us from falstaff books so it's a market experiment to see how to see how that works um and also i wasn't nuts about some of the audible gate which i did yeah. share about in the book group right so we won't necessarily go into it but uh if you're listening and you're curious, feel free to ask us and I will uh, share with you the source material and everything else in the group because yeah, JR gets really thing. weird when we start dissing on the uh, on Bezo Buzzo. I mean, look, all, most of my income comes from the great and mighty Zon. So. Yeah, but that doesn't mean that you have to like everything they do. I don't. I do not. I don't know if I... If I had the money to fly to space in a giant penis, I certainly would. <laughs> yes, but would you come Just back? See what comes out the top. Wait, what? <laughs> so, on that half note, how can listeners find you? Check the show notes. That's how you find me. Um, just look for my name. It's John Hartness on basically everything. It's johnhartness.com. It's at John Hartness on Twitter. It's false. It's falstaffbooks.com. It's at fault. I don't know if it's that false stuff books on Twitter. I think that one might have been taken. Whatever. Google me. It'll be fine. You will not come up with any of the NSFW results you came up with when you Googled Larry Flint. See? Bringing it back around. I see, how, I see what you did there. And yeah. Find, probably you, the best way yep, for people to... Around. Probably the best way for people to interact with me is my Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash John G Hartness. Or maybe it's John G Hartness books. It's a group. Look it up. There's a Facebook group for my books. Um, but that's probably the best way to ask me questions or 
interact with me, tell me how brilliant I am. I mean, you can tell me I suck too, but I'll just block your ass. <laughs> I ain't got time for that. So are you going to put up a poll maybe about what color you're going to dye your hair next? Uh, no, what we've, if I decide to let anyone else have input in it, into it other than my wife, um, well, I raffled it off once. Yeah, I, raised, I remember it. I raised like $500 for charity to let, get people to pick my hair color. So I'll probably do that. Maybe around, maybe around Christmas, I'll auction off the, you choose what color my hair is. I don't know. You can't even really see that it's purple right now, but there. Yes. There, right. I see the purples. Yeah. You can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. Anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. You can find us on the Twitters at SF underscore fantasy underscore show. Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email the show at blasters blades podcast at gmail.com. You can send the hate mail to Seska and podcast at gmail.com you can find us on the facebooks with facebook.com backslash groups backslash blasters and blades podcast you can support the show for as little as 99 cents and a one-time fee at buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comment section that it is for the podcast i promise i will keep my co-hosts nick garber and doc seska duly intoxicated they will drink until their liver surrenders death before sobriety or you can support us on a reoccurring basis on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tacky and tack blades. There we go. That was a <laughs> lot of words, bro. I know. It's always impressive he gets through it. That was a <laughs> lot of words. I, I couldn't even I couldn't even stand to heckle you. I was like, man, I'm just gonna let him go. That's impressive. <laughs> Thank you for spending your precious time with us. For the absentee, overworked, very adult brain, Nick Garber, for the <laughs> Equally adult brain pineapple on pizza loving JR Handley. I'm Seska. This is a Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week, same time, where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, picking.